One of the things that I just love about the Sermon on the Mount is that it is so relevant. It just hits us right where we live and it addresses the issues that we face every single day. Jesus is talking about what authentic Christianity really looks like. And when we got into chapter 7, we started out and he addresses the problem of judging. And if you remember how we left it off last week, he said, I want you to stop judging in the wrong way, but I want you to start judging in the right way. What's the wrong way? Well, the wrong way is when we are condescending and critical and condemning of other people. And typically that comes out of self-righteousness and it destroys people. But he said, I want you to learn to start judging rightly. In other words, judge in the sense of discernment, of wisdom and knowledge for the purpose of helping people, interceding for people. So where does that leave us? When we come to the next section here in verse 7 down through verse 11, you think, well, he's just switching gears and changing subjects. And sometimes we'll, we'll pick out parts of the Sermon on the Mount and look at them in an isolated way. But this really flows out of these first six verses. Because when I'm challenged to stop doing something that is wrong and to start doing something that is right, it really shows a need that I have for the Lord's help. And that's why in, in verse 7 of Matthew 7, he gets right into praying and asking for help. And so many times we find ourselves in that place where God has challenged us, as Christ is challenging all these people seated on the, the seaside of, of Galilee. He's challenging them to respond to the word. And we really can't do that apart from his help. So let's look at this text there from verse 7 of Matthew 7 to verse 11. And I want you to see, because I had mentioned earlier about Father's Day and Father being mentioned in this. It, to me, it's just an amazing thing. He says in response to the challenge to stop judging wrongly and to start judging rightly, we're thinking, how can I do this? And here's his response. He says, ask. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks, asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I'd like to just this morning break this down, these verses, so we can kind of get our minds around them and make some good application. And, and I break it down around this statement, which is a summary of these verses. When you find yourself in need, Ask your Father in heaven for what you need, and he will give it to you. When you find yourself in need, which is every day, ask your Father in heaven for what you need, and he will give it to you. So let's look at the first part here, ask. A request. You're asking for help. 
You know, I am not good at asking for help. I'm not good at asking for directions. How many of you families out there, you're probably looking at your dad right now. When you're lost, you can't find your way, you need directions. He is the last one to ask someone. Diane will sometimes say to me, why don't you just ask that guy over there? Why don't you just ask that woman on the corner? Why don't you just go into the store? And I think that's probably a sense of my independence and my pride and not wanting to admit that I don't know where I am or that I'm lost. And I think all of us, in a sense, tend to be independent. We want to solve it ourselves. We want to, to go about it ourselves. And our, and our Heavenly Father is watching us do this. We're, we're in a place where, where we got to stop judging wrongly, start judging rightly. That's specifically what he's talking about. We need help. He knows we need help. But we're not asking for it. And I think a lot of times our pride gets in the way of doing that. I remember back years ago is when I was we're getting started with a family and I had a real need and was going through some challenging times and I remember talking to my dad on the phone and and I said it this way dad you're the last person I want to ask now the reason I said it that way it's just a cliche you, you probably use it you're the last person I'd want to ask and I still remember what my dad said to me, he said, son, he said, I should be the first person you ask. And it really just smote me. It was like a rebuke. Here, here's my dad who loves me more than any man on earth, probably, has raised me, is always there for me, and I'm going through this challenge in my life, and, and I need some help. I need some advice, some instruction, and, and I'm trying to go it alone. And I think that that's what happens to a lot of us is we become so self-dependent and forget that God is there and he is wanting to be a help to us. It's interesting how this section unfolds. He, he doesn't just use the word ask. He says, ask, seek, and knock. And so asking is really taking the initiative. It's getting out of your comfort zone get out of the car, go across the street, ask that guy how to get there. It's a bit humbling. But did you know that there's, there's no other way to come to God? There is no other way to relate to God than in humility? It, it just opens the door for a good and healthy relationship with him. And then it says seek. So we're to seek, which means a diligent, disciplined pursuit. And typically, when we're seeking him, we seek him through two means, his word and prayer. And so he says, I want you to ask, take the initiative. I want you to seek with the disciplines that I have given you, and I want you to knock. Now, when we knock on someone's door, you're expecting an answer. You're expecting someone to come to the door. And what he's saying is, I want you to stay at that door until... I answered it. Now, of all the English translations, of course, this is written in the Greek. The, we have the Greek New Testament, and it's translated in many translations for us in English. The best translation to me is the only one that really translates this right is the New Living Translation. Because it, it says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. That's the, the verb form here. 
It's not just ask, it's keep on asking, 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 seeking, 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 knocking, knocking, knocking. And I think that really changes the way that we even look at that. It's not like you just ask once or look at something once or knock once. This is, this is a constant pursuit. And for the Christian, it is a way of life, asking, seeking, knocking. We're constantly in need, in need. We'll all admit to that. We're constantly in need. The biggest mistake we make is we don't ask. So ask who? That's the second part. Ask, but ask who? Who should we ask? And this is important. When you look around, who can you trust? And here's what he's, he's saying in this text. He's saying, ask your Father in heaven. Ask your Father in heaven in heaven. Now, I don't know if you noticed when I read through that text, it made a reference to those of us who are earthly fathers and even those of us who are evil. And it doesn't mean evil like you may first think about it, but we're sinful, we're flawed, we're not perfect. Even if a dad who is imperfect knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more will your perfect father know how to give gifts to you. And so there's a contrast and comparison between my earthly father and my heavenly father. And I think this is really powerful when you, when you start to look at it. When I think of my earthly father, he is my father in a biological sense. So I carry the same DNA and uh, we, we probably walk the same, we look a bit the same. In fact, with all these videos going on today, I've I've watched my dad because my dad was a, a teacher and I kind of look at him and I'm thinking that looks like me and I'm starting to get older like him too but I'm thinking I'm I have the same mannerisms and I talk the same way my dad did then I'll then I'll watch my boys and they're speaking on video and I'll think poor kids <laughs> they have the same mannerisms as their dad so there there is a physical my, my physical being comes biologically from my dad. And you know, a, a father could be completely absent. A father could have a son or a daughter and they never know him because it's just biological. But he has a role in, in, our, in our society, in our social structure of being a leader, provider, and protector. That's what dads do. And we gotta realize that there is no perfect dad. I've talked to my, about my, my father. I've talked about my father-in-law. I probably would say there are three other men who are not my biological fathers, who have been like fathers to me and have had a profound impact upon my life. And um, they're all gone now. Uh, they're all with the Lord. And so you kind of feel that bit of an emptiness. I've had, I had a very, very positive experience with my father. However, he wasn't perfect. So if the, the standard of perfection is only my heavenly father, whether your dad is really great or, or had a lot of trouble, there's a gap. There's a gap. When you compare, there's a gap. And, and that gap creates most often a sense of frustration. So if, you, if you've had an experience with your earthly father, there's no way he's going to measure up to perfection. And so we, we feel that gap. We feel that tension. And we have in our minds, what would the perfect father look like? And anything that falls short of that can 
become a frustration and, and usually is for us. But I want you to think now in comparison, and it's not to be a put down to your earthly father, but when you look above even the greatest of dads on earth to your heavenly father, it transcends everything. He is, in a biological sense, um, I, I think of this as being my, my heavenly father, I'm made in his image. I, I was created in, in his image. I, I'm an image bearer. I, I bear his marks. I was estranged by my sin, and I was brought back to him in adoption, and so I am his son in that way. And spiritually, he is constantly at work in my life. So if I think of, about my heavenly father and compare him to my earthly father, I think of my heavenly father as being this. He's great and he's good. Now I could list many attributes of God, but do you remember that little prayer that the kids used to pray? Uh, God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. A very simple prayer. It has the best theology anywhere. And what God said, unless you become like a little child, you'll no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. So God, even though he is immense and, and great beyond what we can comprehend, he's also made these things very simple. His greatness, his power, his might, his knowledge, his wisdom, he, he is everywhere at once, he is he's transcendent over all things, he's eternal, he's unchangeable, and he's also good. God is great and powerful, and God is also good. He's loving, tender, kind, merciful, full of grace. And so those components make up the perfect heavenly Father. Now here's the beauty of this. If you talk about what kind of dad did you have on earth, or do you have on earth, we're all over the map. We're all over the map on that. And many times, how we connect with the way our dad was really shapes the way we live. I've said many times, our view of God, our Heavenly Father, should shape everything about us. But every one of us have the perfect Father. You have the perfect Father. I have the perfect Father. And I learned all about Him through the Scriptures. When I take God's Word, I learn all about this perfect Heavenly Father. And so my proper view of my Heavenly Father puts everything in perspective for things on earth. So I can enjoy and appreciate the value of my earthly father, knowing he's not perfect, but it doesn't need to destroy my life or to be my fallback in every situation. I can look beyond that to my great and good heavenly father who is absolutely perfect. He is absolutely present in all things. So. To me, this is amazing. When you think about this, and I think today's Father's Day, let's celebrate our dads. That's, that's what we do. Give honor to whom honor is due. Honor your fathers and your mothers. But I think that, that what brings even greater stability to our lives and greater joy is when we look even above that, including what he's given to us in an earthly father, but to our heavenly father. And that's why Jesus, every time he prays, this is how he addresses him. Father, one time that I found that he didn't, when, he was, when God turned away when Jesus was on the cross. But I still don't think we get this because when I listen to people talk in the way they think and the way they pray, they don't see God as their 
loving Heavenly Father. They don't see him great and mighty and powerful and loving and kind and tender. And I think that when you, you don't see him that way, it affects the way you live. It affects being able to have security and, and identity. You know, you think about, um, you know, my last name is Olson. Uh, that's because my dad, uh, I look somewhat like my dad. My boys look like me. But what makes me look like my heavenly father is that I walk with him and I bear the marks of his impression upon my life. I am an image bearer of him. And what gives me my source of security and identity and peace and joy and hope is my relationship to my heavenly father. So I want you to think about this. You have a perfect father. You have a perfect father. And I ask you, how well do you know him? How much time do you spend with him? How do you let that thought wash over you? So ask your father in heaven, for what? What do we ask him for? For what you need. Ask him for what you need. Now we're going to find it, this in this particular text, but we're also going to find it all through the scriptures. He tells us to ask for what you need. And particularly here, it's about discernment, wisdom, knowledge, working through this. But in every situation of life, God knows what you need. You find yourself in need. In fact, uh, earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, he knows what you need before you ask. He knows exactly uh, what you need. So when I think this, okay, what about my desires? What I need and what I desire? Because I think back to my mom, you know, saying, well, you don't need that. <laughs> you just want that. You don't need that. But we're going to find, if you read consistently through the scriptures, God cares about what you need. He knows what you need. He also cares about what you desire and what you want. And the difference between those two, um, I would say, may be more thoughtful than, or you may think about that more than what God is thinking about it, because he wants to be able to give to you in ways of expressing his goodness. Now, Father's Day, uh, usually dads get some gifts and uh, do a few things. And, and typically what, what Diane will tell the kids will say, what does dad need? And she'll say, dad doesn't need anything. He, he already has everything. Uh, but my wife's pretty good to me because she'll, she'll go and get things I like that I don't need. God cares about those just as much. He, he sees the whole of the person. Now, would a good father give his kids anything they want? Well, you, when you start to process that, even if you're in junior high or in grade school and you see a toddler and you're watching after them, would you give that toddler everything they wanted? No. Why? Because not everything they want is good for them. And so God needs to be consistently good. That's his character. And so in Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. That's an amazing verse. So take delight in the Lord, and the Lord will give you your heart's desires. In Mark 11, verse 24, it says, Whatever things you desire when you pray, believe that you will receive them, and you will have them. So God cares about what I need, and God cares about what I want. I believe this, that whatever, whatever he is going to give to me in answer to my request will be consistent with his character, 
It's not going to do harm or damage to me or to his name or to his purposes. And that flows out of his goodness. Now, sometimes I don't see it. I don't understand it. I'm thinking, yes, this is good. This is what I want. And I don't see the bigger picture. And so we can become, at times, frustrated with God. But here's the challenge. I want you to ask your Heavenly Father for everything you need. Large and small. You may not have processed it uh, completely, but this is what he tells us to do. So ask your Father in heaven for what you need. Now, listen to this last part, and he will give it to you. He will give it to you. Now, that is an incredible statement. It does give me pause because I think, well, every time in every situation. And I believe this in my experience that, yes, yes. If it is a prayer that is in God's will, that is part of his plan, he will say yes. So as he says in, in verse 7, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Those are promises. And God's not like going to pull the rug out from under you and say, aha, I was just kidding. Because he goes on to say, if, if you ask, if a, just a regular father, your son asks for a piece of bread, do you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, does your father, do you give him a, serp, a serpent? No, God doesn't mock you. He doesn't ridicule. He's not playing games with you. This is a genuine, legitimate promise. And I believe he will always answer it in the affirmative. Listen to what it says in 1 John 5 and verse, verses 14 and 15. It says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask anything that pleases him. So when I'm asking for something that pleases God, I'm confident that he's hearing me. And since we know that he hears us when we make our requests. We also know that he will give us what we ask for. He will give us what we ask for. Now, I think about this as a, as a dad, as a father, as a grandfather. I would give my kids anything unless I felt it's going to hurt them. Why would I hold back? Unless something would do damage or be wrong, uh, would... would why would I hold anything back? As long as it's consistent with God's character, with his word, and it would be good for them. I'd like to just share five experiences for, for me personally with prayer. And I think this has been a long journey through the years that I've found um, to be true. Number one, prayer is the most important thing I do about anything. Whether it's my marriage, my family, my kids, my job, my finances, it is the most significant work that I do. And I would say that if I wasn't a pastor. Prayer is the most significant thing that I do. Number two, prayer is the hardest thing I do. Because naturally, I don't like to bend my knee to bow before God or to wait on God. I don't like to be dependent. I like to find my way. I don't like asking for directions. So prayer it's hard for me to do because I'd rather be busy with my hands and feet and, and trying other things. And, and it can tend to be the last resort for me rather than the first resort. Number three, crisis moves me to pray like nothing else. Crisis moves me to pray. 
As I look back on my life, every major work of God in my life, where I just saw God do incredible things, and that's been many times for me, was preceded by crisis. Now, I know that may not sound encouraging to you, but here's why I think that's true. It's because when we have a great need, it's like God driving us to him to enjoy relationship with him, to come to him. And this is why Jesus follows up with, with verses 7 to 11, is following the, the first six verses. Here's what I want you to do. Stop judging this way. Start judging this way. And we're saying, help, I, I can't do that. And, he, and he's saying, ask. Ask your Father in heaven for what you need, and he'll give it to you. That's what he's saying about this and is what he's saying about everything. Number four, it will take longer than I like for God to answer my prayer. How often? Every time. In fact, I can't, I can't think of a time where I didn't have to wait for the, the big things in life. And you wait and you wait and you wait. And, and you, you kind of wonder, why, why is God taking so long to answer these prayers? And it can get frustrating. And I, and I remember reading this by John Piper. He's saying that God's doing a thousand other things. <laughs> and one of the things he's doing is, is he's moving me to greater dependence or reliance upon him and creating an intimacy. Number five is this. So I have so far, it's the most important thing I do. It's the hardest thing I do. Crisis moves me to pray like nothing else. It will always take longer than I like. And then... Number five, God changes things. God changes things through prayer. He changes me. Probably the thing that I wasn't even looking for. I was looking for God to do something about this. But probably the greatest thing God does is not just changing that circumstance, but he's changing me. He does change the circumstance. As I pray, he refines my prayer. Sometimes I, I change the prayer because I, I, God's directed me through this. And I'm not asking in the same way or for the same thing anymore. And so he's aligning me with his purposes so that I'm praying for what he desires as well. And my desires and God's desires become one. And then finally, it, it gives greater confidence for future requests. So what changes in me is now when I pray, I've seen him answer this prayer and this prayer and this prayer all through the years. So those are, those are the five things that I would say to you. It is the most important thing we do. It's the hardest thing we do. The crisis is what moves us to pray like nothing else. And it will take longer than I like, always. And God changes things. So this is Father's Day. And I hope that you celebrate Father's Day. We should, but you also celebrate your father in heaven like no other time in history. Don't be like me when I said to my dad, dad, you're the last one I wanted to call. Let your heavenly father be the first one you call about every need that you have. So here's the summary of it. When you have a need, ask your heavenly father, for what you need, and he will give it to you. May God add his blessing upon his word. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. Praise his name.